if you would, um, I'm going to bear with me a little bit this morning. Um, I'm going to give you just a little bit of history uh, this morning. Upon uh, Peter's confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus made a promise. He said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Then as you read through the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, you can see those apostles carrying on Jesus' work of preaching and, and teaching God's word. And as a result of their labors, literally thousands of people repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the very, the very beginning of the book, of the book of Acts, before his ascension to the Father's right hand, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus, Jesus actually prophesies the spread of the gospel. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It's going to happen. And it all starts with the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, those first few verses. Then immediately after that, it tells us that that devout men, essentially from all over the known world, they heard of the mighty works of God, but there was some confusion. And so the apostle Peter stands up and he preaches his first sermon. He preaches the gospel, and as a result, at the conclusion of his sermon, in fact, let me just read the conclusion. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then it continues, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Meanwhile, the story is still taking place in the city of Jerusalem. But the gospel continues to spread. The church is continuing to grow. Yet with that growth comes persecution. We especially see this with the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. But that persecution doesn't have its its intended effect. It doesn't destroy the church, it simply scatters it. And Acts chapter 8 verse 4 tells us, Now those who were scattered because of that persecution went about preaching the word. They were obedient to Jesus' great commission to make disciples of all nations. And so enter Philip and the Ethiopian of Acts chapter 8. And guess where Ethiopia is? the ends of the earth. But the story continues because God in His sovereignty, beginning really in in Acts chapter 9, chose to save Saul, who is also known as Paul, and use him 
as one of the greatest missionaries of all time to spread the gospel. And essentially from the middle of Acts on, we read of Paul's church planting missionary efforts, which leads us to where we are today. Listen to this timeline. I've given you this a few times before, but I think it's, I think it's important for us to remember. It is believed that in the year 42 AD, John Mark, the author of the gospel according to Mark, goes to Egypt in order to preach the gospel. 49 AD, Paul, the apostle Paul, heads to Turkey. 51 AD, Paul, also Paul, goes to Greece, including the city of Corinth. In our regular study, we're just finishing the first letter to the church at Corinth. In AD 52, the apostle Thomas, we sometimes call Doubting Thomas, he heads to India in order to preach the gospel. In AD 54, Paul sets out on his third missionary journey, almost certainly with Timothy coming along. Fast forward now to after the time of the New Testament, and in A.D. 174, the first Christians are reported in the region that we call Austria. Then in A.D. 280, the first rural churches are founded in northern Italy as the gospel begins to move deeper and deeper into Europe. By the year 350, 53% of the Roman Empire profess Christ, and the Emperor Constantine legalized Christianity and made it the state religion, probably for political purposes, which the Lord then used. The year 432, St. Patrick goes to Ireland. In 596, Gregory the Great sent Augustine, not the famous Augustine, the other one, along with a missions team to England. They settled in Canterbury and allegedly, within a year, baptized 10,000 people. In 635, the first missionaries reached China. In 740, Irish monks with roots back to St. Patrick, they traveled to Iceland. A.D. 900, missionaries arrive in Norway, and essentially by this time, all of Europe is Christian, or at least Christianized. By the year 1200, the Bible's been translated into at least 22 different languages. In 1498, as the age of exploration is getting underway, the first Christians are reported deep in Africa, in the, in the country of Kenya. And in 1554, there were 1,500 Christians living in what is now Thailand in the South Pacific. In 1620, Puritan pilgrims fleeing persecution in England established Plymouth Colony in what we now call Massachusetts. 16, just 16 years later, they established Harvard College, Harvard College, in order to train pastors for this new church in the wilderness in the New World. In 1743, David Brainerd began his missionary work to the North American Indians, and while he died a mere four years later, at the age of 29, his legacy impacted men such as William Carey, Jonathan Edwards, and Jim Elliott. In the very early years of Western expansion following the American War for Independence, in, in March of 1809, James Moore and Robert Dixon began from the interior of the state of Kentucky the long and tedious journey to Logan County, Ohio. Early in the summer of the year 1815, 
a circuit-riding preacher of the New Light Christian faith from Cane Ridge, Kentucky, came into the settlement of Logansville, Ohio, and announced a meeting at a farmhouse. In 1824, a regular church was established, meeting in a small log building. A few years later, a society of Presbyterians was formed in the area, and the Presbyterians and the believers at Logansville united in the construction of a, of a comfortable frame church, they called it. The next record is from 1866, Civil War. More names are added to the church membership. In 1867, a revival meeting was held and even more names were added. A new church building was built and dedicated in 1876. The logs for the frame were donated by Martin L. Rohrer, who is Anita's husband's second great-grandfather, a local blacksmith, fabricated the hook and the hangers for the church bell, which was dedicated and rung on October 16th, 1876. We're in the process of getting that bell restored. Thomas Heston was the first pastor of the new church. For the sake of time, let's fast forward a century to the fall of 1984. The membership of Logansville Church consisted of less than 20 people, the faithful few faced the reality of not being able to pay a pastor's salary or living expenses, and the possibility of closing the church doors was very real. It was then that Anita Rohrer and Luella Boffman, while attending a local Christian women's club, heard about village missions. They mentioned the possibility of inquiring about leadership for the church. By January 4th, 1985, Larry Sheetenhelm, who was a village missionary pastor, was called and God used him to revitalize Logansville Christian Church. In 1986, the Logansville Christian Church members voted to change the name of the church to Logansville Community Church. By 1989, the old meeting house was too small and the congregation was continuing to increase. And so plans were made in January of 1990 to construct a larger meeting house. This meeting house was completed and dedicated on January 21st, 1991. The parsonage across the street was sold and a new parsonage was built on County Road 24 in 1992. Throughout the 1990s, regular services were held, including Sunday school and Sunday morning worship. And during the school year, Awana and a Word of Life youth group programs were provided for the children and the teenagers. Awana had an average attendance of 100 to 105 children, along with 20 adult helpers. However, the church again dwindled in size in the year 2000 was stable in its worship and its outreach ministries, yet it was followed by 10 years of little growth and several pastors. In 2014, we saw our average attendance jump from 45 in June of that year to 75 in July. And immediately, the elders of Logansville Community Church were concerned, how can we possibly fit something like 10 kids in that small Logansville space? We didn't have 10 kids then, but we were concerned. Finally, after several years of discussion and prayer, on August 10th, 2021, the deacons of Logansville Church reached out to Link Construction to begin the process of designing an addition to the Logansville building to accommodate the growing church family as we looked into the future. 
Plans were quickly drawn up, and they were in the process of pulling permits and finalizing all of the drawings when I received a text from my son, Zach, on December 27, 2021, about a church property for sale at County Road 32 in Bell Fountain. The next day, the elders and the deacons gathered here in this building to rule it out. We thought for sure the sanctuary was not big enough for our church family. We were wrong, at least for now. We were wrong, and because of God's incredible generosity toward us, we were able to make a cash offer to purchase this building. And upon purchase, the people of Logansville Community Church came together like they hadn't needed to in many years in order to paint, to design, to, to build, to rip out persistent carpet to clean, to move, to dig, and generally serve the Lord as we prepared to move into this meeting house. As of July of this year, we officially changed our name to Redemption Bible Church, and Lord willing, on Tuesday, November 2nd, in just a couple of days, we will sign papers to sell the Logansville building to the DeGraff Baptist Church. In less than two years, the year 2024, this body of believers will celebrate its 200th anniversary. And although we are on our fourth building, on our third name, we can trace our family tree all the way back to the faithfulness of an extraordinary Savior who promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. So this morning, as we officially begin this new phase of ministry, which is really just a continuation of the old phase of ministry, it seems appropriate to dedicate this building to the Lord. And so we're going to look at King Solomon's prayer of dedication of the temple that had finally been built in Jerusalem. And as we do, 1 Kings chapter 8, as we do, we're going to see four principles that apply to us today as we dedicate our new meeting house to God and to His glory. So turn to 1 Kings chapter 8. And I'm going to read verses 54 to 63. 1 Kings chapter 8. Beginning in verse 54. Now as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord where he had knelt with his hands outstretched toward heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he had promised. Not one word has failed of his good promise which he spoke by Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us. That he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine, with which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. 
Solomon offered as peace offerings to the Lord 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. Let's stop and pray. Father, I pray that you would feed us today from your word. That we would not uh, leave here today glorying in what we have accomplished glorying in a history lesson, but that we would, we would leave here today glorifying our God who has done it all. Keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ today. We pray this in his name. Amen. So what does it mean to dedicate a church meeting house to the Lord? We, we've actually been here now for five months. We moved over the first week in June. Um, so why not just keep going like we have, you know, forgetting what lies behind and, and all of that? Well, the answer, I believe, is here in this passage. But before we answer that question, it might be helpful to get a little bit of background of this temple that Solomon was dedicating here in 1 Kings. So 1 Kings chapter 6, just a couple chapters before this, verses 37 and 38, tells us that it took seven years for Solomon to actually build the temple. You may remember that his father, King David, had spent many years making preparations and and gathering supplies, virtually his entire kingly established career. That's why we read 2 Samuel earlier. He wanted to build the temple, and the Lord said, no, your son is going to do it. So this was a long-term project. Skilled workers were employed. Only the best materials were used. This was to be a beautiful temple built for God's glory. And when all of the work of the temple was finished, the last step was to bring the Ark of the Covenant in and place it in the inner sanctuary of the temple, inside the Holy of Holies, to place that that mercy seat where the Lord God would meet with His people. And after they put it in there, when when the priests withdrew from that holy place, the Holy of Holies, where they put the Ark of the Covenant, the glory of the Lord filled the temple and all the people worshiped God. At that point, Solomon then prays Two prayers of dedication. The first prayer is a longer one, which is recorded for us in in verses 22 to 53 of this same chapter. And that's a prayer that relates very specifically to the temple itself and and its unique place in in the history of Israel under the Old Covenant. But then Solomon goes on to pray this second prayer of dedication that I just read that we're looking at today. There's there's four parts to this prayer. And all four are easily applicable to us, to the dedication that we make today of our, of our own meeting house, to God and to His glory. And Solomon begins his prayer by issuing a, a thanksgiving and a praise for what God has done. Thanksgiving and praise. Look again at verses 54, 5, and 6. Verse 54 says this. Now, as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, where he had knelt with his hands outstretched toward heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses his servant." 
So on one hand, it's almost a, it's a benediction. He stands up, he holds his hands out, and he says, Blessed be the Lord who keeps his promises. Would have been easy right at this point for Solomon, and really for all of the people, or even in our case, it would be easy for me, for us, for the leadership, for the members of the church, to take credit for the work. All the work that we have accomplished this year. After all, didn't, didn't we do it? Didn't many people in this room paint and rip out carpet and try again to rip out carpet and finally rent the right machine to rip out carpet? It took a long time to rip out the carpet. Didn't we do that? Didn't we work hard? Didn't the people of Israel make all of the plans and gather the materials and oversee the building of the temple? Wasn't the purchase of this meeting house, this building here, possible because of your donations? Well, yeah. Solomon and the people of Israel worked to make the temple come together, and you, you have given faithfully for many years. You've lived with porta johns outside the old building for a while. You've painted and cleaned and all of that. But in this prayer, Solomon recognizes that it was only possible because of the Lord. It was the Lord who gave Israel rest from their enemies so that they could focus on the building of the temple at that time. It was the Lord who provided all that they needed to complete the project. It was the Lord who fulfilled all of the good promises that he had given through his servant Moses. And if you know the history of the people of Israel, you know that those promises were delayed because of Israel's disobedience. And that this moment of peace that we read about here in 1 Kings 8, this moment of rejoicing was really just a temporary rest. It was a, a, just a taste of the true and better promised land yet to come that we still wait for. But it's important to see that Solomon begins with thanksgiving and praise for what God has done. This is a helpful reminder for us. Remember, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He was talking there about a meal. How much more do we glorify his name in the establishment of a new and beautiful church building, church meeting house? Remember, God is the one who, who gave us the talents, the time. God is the one who gave us the opportunity, the means, the strength to do any of this. And so our first thought when we pull into the parking lot on Sunday morning should always be thanksgiving and praise for what God has done. This church began back in 1824 when the families of the original settlers of Logansville, Robert Dixon, Alfred Matthews, John Means, and James Moore, united in the formation of the first religious society in Pleasant Township, then on the wild frontier. Truly, the gospel was continuing to advance to the ends of the earth. How did Logansville Christian Church, as it was known, how did Logansville Christian Church survive for nearly 200 years? We can only say that it is because God is faithful and we give Him all of the glory, right? Soli Deo Gloria. 
glory to God alone. That's the first part of Solomon's prayer there in those first few verses. And the principle applies to us today, a a principle of thanksgiving and praise for what God has done. The second principle for us today can be seen as, as Solomon prays for continued, God's continued presence and direction. Look, pick it up in verse 57. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his rules, which he commanded our fathers. This is a prayer for God's continued presence and direction. Notice in those couple of verses that Solomon acknowledges God's work for their forefathers in the past. And he seeks God's God's continued leading of his people even in his own days. I, I can't think of two more important requests of God for us as a church as we seek to carry out his purposes for us even in this new community. First, we are, we are asking for God's presence to be among us as he has promised, that he would not remove the lampstand, as we talked about in Sunday school. When we gather to worship, this is what we seek first and foremost. I said this a couple of, um, a couple of weeks ago when, we were pre- when I was preaching We gather to worship God in the beauty of His presence. We pray that He would be with us as He was with those who came before us. And we cling to the promise, even as Solomon says here, that He will never leave us or forsake us. In Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus promised His disciples, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And so when we gather to worship our God in Jesus' name, we can be assured that Christ is with us, that he is present with us, that he brings us, ushers us into God's glorious presence as we lift high the name of Jesus, as we worship God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this prayer is a reminder and it's an acknowledgement that we are completely dependent upon him. And not only do we pray for God's continued presence, but we also pray for His direction, that He would lead us and that we would follow Him. Look again at verse 58. He says that He may incline our hearts to Him to walk in all His ways and to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His rules, which He commanded our fathers. That He may incline our hearts, the Scripture says, This is is a prayer for repentance, for God to turn you. In other words, you're going in one direction, and God wants you to go in a different direction, a direction of obedience and submission, he says. You need God to turn you around. That's what repentance is. And so we pray for God to turn our hearts that we may walk in all his ways and be obedient to all his commands. Do you see where this church dedication is going? You know it ain't about the building, right? In fact, even though this is a church dedication, I've tried hard not to call the building a church. It's a meeting house. It's where the church gathers, where the church meets. This is a church dedication. 
This is the second principle of Solomon's prayer, a prayer for God to lead us and to guide us and that we would follow, that we would have hearts of repentance, continually following him. Well, next, King Solomon prays here for God's name to be known among the nations. The prayer for God's name to be known. Verse 59 and 60. He says, let all these words of mine with which I have pleaded before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night. And may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Verse 59 there is actually pretty similar to part of the Lord's prayer. Essentially it is, give us this day our daily bread. Clearly, Solomon is praying for God's daily provision and sustenance, that he would continue to meet our needs. And he prays this for a very specific purpose. Not just that we could have a really nice building. Not just that we might even one day have a paved parking lot. Not just whatever we would wish for our facility. He prays for the very specific purpose that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. John Piper famously said that that missions exist because worship doesn't. He said this, he said, Worship is is the fuel and the goal of missions. People must be told about Jesus because there's no salvation, no worship where the gospel of the crucified and risen Son of God is not heard and believed. Solomon's prayer of dedication is such an important prayer because it reminds us that we, Redemption Bible Church, we do not exist for ourselves, but rather for God's glory and for the spreading of God's name throughout our community and throughout the nations. This prayer is a prayer to remind us that we ought not simply turn inward and make all of our decisions based on what we think is best for us, but rather that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. We cannot lose sight of the great commission where Jesus charged his disciples. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, so yeah, we pray for the needs of our church. We pray for the needs of individual members of our church. We work to meet those needs as we can and as appropriate. We ask God to meet our daily needs. We are dependent upon Him, but we are also asking God today to use us to build His kingdom. And obviously, we want the gospel to go to all the nations. But we also want the gospel to go to our friends and our neighbors. We want to impact Belfontaine, Logan County, the people around us, our friends, our coworkers, our own children and grandchildren. I mentioned this in Sunday school a while back, but how about we live as exiles in this strange land just as the faithful remnant of Israel were commanded to in Babylon? How about we live here in Bell Fountain 
As Jeremiah 29 says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Not to build our own kingdom, but with the goal of making God's name known among the nations. And then the fourth and final principle here of Solomon's prayer is that this is a prayer for God's people to remain fully committed to Him. This is a prayer for true devotion. Look at verse 61. Let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in His statutes and keeping His commandments as at this day. Solomon's final, his final request here is that God's people would remain fully committed to him at all times. And this is really the heart of what it's really the heart of what this church dedication is all about. Because honestly, what what good does it do to commit a, a, a temple or, or a, a meeting house like this or or really anything to the Lord if you're not if you're not personally committed to the Lord yourself? I'm always fascinated when an unbeliever comes to me someone who has not professed Christ, and they come to me because they want a church wedding. Why? Why do unbelievers who often have zero interest in church or in God or in holiness of any kind, why do they want to get married by a pastor in a church rather than, say, a judge in a courthouse? Sometimes it's tradition. Make somebody in their family happy. Sometimes they say it's because they want God's blessing on their marriage. Then you find out they're living together. I met a couple a few years ago who wanted me to marry them, but they were living together. Our meeting was nice. It was cordial. Um, I challenged them toward holiness, and as they left, I, I told them they had some things to think about, talk about. The meeting was pleasant. It was fine. I was optimistic, actually, and that night I got an email telling me my services were no longer required. How can we dedicate something, even something so sacred as a marriage, how can we dedicate something to God's glory if we are not willing to live in such a way that glorifies Him with our lives? Do you see here in this verse God's requirements? For his people, look at this again, verse 61. Let the Lord, uh, let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. Solomon's prayer for true devotion, it ought to hit us kind of hard. It ought to hit us hard. Here they are, the people of Israel, about to dedicate this beautiful temple to the Lord. And Solomon says, Let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in His statutes, keeping His commandments, as, as you're doing today, as at this day. For over a year now, we have been reading through First and Second Kings. And so you're at least, you're at least somewhat familiar with the rest of the, the history of the Israelites as a people, the history of the temple. You know that before Solomon died, his heart was swayed toward other gods. You remember that the people of God 
quickly turned away from the Lord. And so God took the temple away from them. Lord willing, we will read the final chapter of 2 Kings next week. We will read that because of their sin, God would send the Babylonians who would come in and ransack the temple and burn it to the ground. They took away all of those beautiful furnishings that adorned the temple that the people, King David and Solomon and the people had gathered together. I pray that if our hearts wander from the truth, that the Lord would remove this meeting house from us and give it to someone who will hold fast to him. And you know what? He's done that before with this very building. Because the hearts of the people were not true to the Lord their God. And every week in the pastoral prayer, I pray something to the effect of, Father, forgive us because we've done that. We have failed to be wholly true to the Lord our God, even in our hearts. We have failed to walk in His statutes and keep His commandments. We have failed to love our neighbor as ourselves. We have failed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. But God. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what that means? It means that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so this fourth part of Solomon's prayer is so important when it comes to dedicating anything to, to God and to His glory. True devotion. This is why every week we will confess our sins and be assured of His gracious pardon. Because if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I didn't make that up. It's in there. Solomon's kind of fourfold prayer here near the end of this chapter is an excellent model for us as we dedicate this meeting house to the Lord, as we dedicate this church to the Lord. Our dedication begins with thanksgiving and praise for what God has done. We should pray for God's continued presence and direction. We should look beyond ourselves and pray that God's name would be known among the nations. And we should pray for one another that God's people who are sitting here side by side, who will go out in, in a few minutes and eat some soup together, who love one another and care for one another and pray for one another, we should pray that we would remain truly devoted to Him. And then finally, we read in verses 62 and 63, then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. Solomon offered as peace offerings to the Lord 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. And so finally, after all the years of preparation and giving and building, the temple was complete. Solomon prayed his prayer of dedication. And then the king and all the Israelites officially dedicated the temple to the Lord. 
That's where we are today. The work on this meeting house is long completed, although we should say in some sense already and not yet. But by God's grace, we have no debt. By God's grace, we have no debt. That's an amazing praise God. He has continued to work through his people to finish the work that others started so long ago. We can trace it back to 1824 and those first settlers out there near where I live, along the river. But we can trace it all the way back to our faithful Savior who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so we are finally here today in a position to officially dedicate this meeting house to God and to His glory. In your bulletin, there's an insert. Uh, there's a couple. There's one that's folded in half and is a dedication. I didn't write this. This was ad uh, adapted from, I found a dedication service from the Moody Church in Chicago, November 8th, 1925. I thought it was a good connection to the past for us. And so I'm going to read, we're going to do this as a responsive reading. So I'm pastor and you're everyone, okay? Or congregation, I guess it says under that. Having been prospered by the good hand of our God and enabled by His grace and power to purchase this house of worship to be used for the glory of His name, we now in His holy presence dedicate this meeting house to Him. We dedicate this sanctuary to be a place of worship. We dedicate this sanctuary to be a house of prayer. We dedicate this sanctuary to be a place where God's word is honored and proclaimed. We dedicate this sanctuary to be a light in this community, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to all who will hear. Holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, three persons and one God, to you we dedicate this house. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Father which art in heaven, to you we dedicate this house. Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, head of the body which is the church, head over all things to the church, prophet, priest, and king, whose glorious appearing shall be to all people, to you we dedicate this house. Holy Spirit, our comforter, counselor, guide, and friend, to you we dedicate this house. For comfort for those who mourn, for strength to those who are tempted, for the instruction and training of children and youth, for the sending forth of the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, to you we dedicate this house. And we do so also, give ourselves individually and unreservedly to you. We dedicate this sanctuary now to the glory of God the Father, to the honor of Jesus Christ his Son, to the praise of the Holy Spirit, to God be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, it is our prayer that we would remain holy, true to the Lord our God.
that we would walk in your statutes and keep your commandments. Father, it is our prayer that your name, that all the peoples of the earth would know that the Lord is God, that there is no other. It is our prayer today, Lord, that you would incline our hearts to you, to walk in all your ways, to keep your commandments, your statutes, your rules, which you have commanded our fathers. Lord, it is our desire today that we would remain a people who are thankful, praising God for what he has done, praising you, our God, for what you have done. Lord, we do dedicate this building to your use, but we dedicate this church to you for the name and sake of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.